following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Bray, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. It is game week. We've talked about it, but Saturday we're finally going to tee it up and kick it off. ETSU football for 2023 on the road at Jacksonville State. We're going to talk about that. We're going to touch on ETSU men's soccer before we get into the gridiron. We're also going to have a couple of segments. We're getting back into some segments. Segments. Some fun segments. Segments. Like to have fun. Segments. Yes. Let's start soccer on the pitch, and then we will go to the football and uh, in-depth ETSU. Jacksonville State, just because chronologically the soccer game is tomorrow, Friday. We record on Thursday here. Friday, so if you tune in on Friday, it is tonight, 7 p.m. If you tune in uh, Thursday, then uh, it's obviously tomorrow. And if you tune in on Saturday, it's already happened. Just go to ETSUbucks.com and uh, see the results if you weren't there. Yeah. I think I covered them all. I think so. I think so. So, men's soccer, North Carolina coming to town, and the Tar Heels make the trip to Johnson City. The Bucks coming off maybe not the result they wanted, but certainly I think David Lilly learned a lot about his team against Kentucky, maybe more so than he did the home opener. He told me yeah, the other day when we talked about it, I just think about it on Tuesday, he said um, it was it's basically impossible to ask more of our guys than we got from them on Monday night. They did everything they could do. They laid it all out there for 88 minutes, and the finish line was right there. And Kentucky just made a play that, I mean, if it's if it's six millimeters to the left, it doesn't go in. Right? Like, I mean, he just put it at the exact Ben Jan, Ben Damji put it in the exact right spot on the left goalpost to knock it in. And that was that was all the difference. That and also like an outstretched defender, last-ditch effort, flinging the ball away with his right foot on what should have been Kieran Richards' first goal of the year. I mean, it was that close, and they took it to him for long stretches of the game. It's the number three team in the country. It felt like they were playing a November game. Like It felt like it had that kind of tension to it. ETSU did not park the bus. They did not go there and play for a tie. They did not try to just, you know, jump in where they could and hang on. They went there with a mindset of, we're going to take it to these guys. We can beat these guys. It was Mystery Alaska. We can beat these guys. They're not that good. And, of course, I mean, the Mystery Alaska team lost like 13-1. But at the same time, ETSU had that mindset. We can beat these guys. And I think they're going to have that same mindset against North Carolina. Hey, we can go beat these guys. These guys aren't that good. They're they're well, they're they're good, but they're not that much better than we are. We're a good team too. And I look at this and say this could be a real feather in the cap for David Lilly and this group this year with some of the young players that they've integrated into the lineup. Nico Cross is on a spot in the back line. He likes playing with um, Simon Klemberg and Yves Chuya in the back and. Henrik Gunther has looked amazing. He's phenomenal. It's just so dangerous with the ball. He ranges, his, his range with the ball is yes. Uh, their, 
looks great. Their midfield looks solid. Uh, really been impressed with David Kovacic. You know, he's had a reduced role, but he's made the most of the role that he's been given because of the rise of Luis Salco, uh, who has come over from the Sunderland Academy, which is one of the best youth academy systems in Europe. And they were great last year in the Youth Premier League. He has been outstanding. And, you know, that's knocked David to the bench, where he's playing a heavy sub role. And he's done great work. And who knows, maybe he even gets a start out of that uh, against UNC, which is a very different team from Kentucky. They're more possession-heavy. They want to keep the ball away from you. They want to build through possession rather than trying to be direct in the way that Kentucky, or certainly George Southern, wanted to be very direct in their attack. It's a different team. It's a different setup. It's a completely different tactical challenge. And this one is one that they can win, but it's going to look very different from what the last two games have looked like. I think it's going to be an electric crowd. Um, it and, better be. Well, and, Gauntlet laid right here on the Jay Keith Show. I feel like when these games happen, they don't happen a lot, you tend to get a lot more uh, fanfare with it, as you would imagine, because the name North Carolina carries a lot of weight, no matter, I think, what sport um, it is in. But also, there's something about Summer Sailor Stadium that has been very kind to men and women uh, against some Power 5 teams. And so, I think it's going to be an electric crowd. I think the weather's going to be phenomenal tomorrow. And I think certainly uh, ETSU's got a chance, uh, and you mentioned the, the feather in the cap, not just for David Lilly, but I think this team that had some question marks coming into it, didn't really get them answered game one, certainly looked like more like David Lilly expected game two. And this one maybe, can they take the step? Can they build off what they did against Kentucky? That'll be, I guess, the biggest question. And if they're able to play as well as they get against Kentucky, I think, that means ETSU will walk away with a victory against North Carolina. Or at least that's my opinion. I agree. I agree completely. Yeah, whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. Whatever. Some guy's talking. Talking to hear myself speak until that little red light goes out. You know, Jake, we're going to have new bumpers at some point? No. Oh, is that what you're going to say? Yeah, you know, Jake. Uh, if you want the new bumper so badly, I can do it myself. Get, maybe you can get it here and do it yourself. <laughs> if you want it that bad. I, I, I I'm like just trying this. to justify, you know, you having a job. I mean, you, know, you do nothing but whatever I ask. No, that's not true. No, Sounds good. Sounds I, good. I, I, do, I do a lot of things that you don't ask for. Well, you do a, then, a lot of things I don't really know how to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which is a good hire by me. Exactly. Yes. No, that, that, that shows your capability as an upper administrative professional. I've, gr- I've grown. Something like that. You f- uh, you're flourishing. You're flourishing. You're in your upper, you're in your senior staff era. <laughs> yes. There is a point, I've said it uh, last year, where there was a point where we look around the room and I realized some people were looking at me because I was the last one standing and still am because I've been yeah. here uh, the longest. I think now full-time members in the athletic department I think the only full-time member left that has been here longer is Stephanie Reynolds-Shelton. Because technically, uh, you know, Lee Morrow is, is part-time as he's retired. Brian Johnson technically works for Global Sport Leadership, does some stuff in athletics, but his main gig is a Global Sport Leadership. And But those are the, the three that would uh, outwritten as far as being here. But full-time still with that elect department, I think it's just Stephanie Reynolds-Shelton. So at some point, 
You're the last one standing, right? That's where I am. That's where I am. That's where I am standing. Well, I don't even know how to transition that to uh, the football game, but let's do that. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about ATSU Jacksonville State. I got a chance to really break down the film. I watched the game um, just to watch, and then I went back to the Jacksonville State. I'm referring to UTEP. And watch it a little bit with the spotting boards, try to, you know, names, numbers, those type of things we, we do as broadcasters. But really try to take a look at things I thought that would work to ETSU's advantage and what maybe would go against them. The few things I think that would work against them, number one, is Jacksonville State's play the game. And so there's some kinks there that they can probably work out because, as we said on Tuesday, the biggest jump is between game one and two for most teams that you hear coaches say. And then the speed factor – how they want to run their offense when we talked to Stephen Scott about it just with Sanford but it seems like even UTEP it, it took a series or two and then all of a sudden you're used to count. so how quick can these young bucks line up and get the calls in get in the right way and really for coach Rodriguez and what he wants to do is just we're working at speed we're waiting for somebody to make a mistake they pounce on it yep. 208 yards rushing that's about where they want to be just 67 yards passing that is not where they want to be but they want to be about 200 yards, you know, rushing, 200 yards passing, and that's sort of what Rich Rods, he's the anti-Mike uh, Leach. Actually, not the anti-Mike Leach. He just um, doesn't believe you run and pass the 50, but he wants 200-plus here, 200-plus here, and that's his balance, not necessarily 35 runs, 35 passes. He certainly, Rich Rodriguez, wants to run the ball more, but they like to take shots deep, and their longest completion was 17 yards. Had – I early had guys running open and just missed throws by Zion Webb. Later, I think Zion Webb really didn't have a lot of opportunity to throw deep, so they had to take what the defense gave him, which was throw underneath, but didn't look particularly great throwing the football, but the concern, back to where I'm sticking with first, the concerns, when he got outside the pocket, and ETSU has struggled with quarterbacks being unaccounted for, especially if they break contain with a rush. Now, it's different, I think, if ETSU tries to spy or something like that, it's not really what Billy Taylor wants to do. But if ETSU blitzes or they drop eight, and whatever it is contained gets dropped, and all of a sudden the quarterback's allowed to run, that's where ETSU has been susceptible. So speed, I think maybe even the heat a little bit, and certainly containing the quarterback's on the web are my concerns for ETSU's defense. My concern for ETSU's offense is this is a very similar defense to Mercer in the 4-2-5 stack, and that they will run um, – I'm going to say small guys, but for FBS, small guys. For Southern Conference guys, they're big guys. But they're going to play with some team speed and with that new offensive line for ETSU, how do they handle the team speed? So those will be kind of my glaring, overarching concerns going into this game for ETSU. Yeah, I am very intrigued about the matchup of JSU's offensive line versus ETSU's defensive line. I think that's going to be a challenge because part of it, like you talked about the heat, and ETSU doesn't have a ton of proven depth on the defensive line. You have Max Evans. He's going to be great. He's going to be fine. He will not get eaten alive today. You have Devin Brantley, who's got some game experience. Jalen George is playing his first ever collegiate game. He's probably going to get matched up against a former SEC guard in Clay Webb on the left side. How does that go? And how do you rotate those guys where you know, I think Tyreek Nard's going to see his first serious game action. Brennan LeBlanc might make his college debut, play his for play in his first college game as a true freshman. Literally fresh on the campus, might have to might have to play. Maybe have to play some snaps. Uh, how do those guys handle it? 
and how do they avoid getting gobbled up by a line that's going to play very aggressively. They're going to run out of 12 personnel packages, which means one running back and two tight ends. So not 12 players on the field. It's uh, it's two tight ends with the one running back, so one, two, they call it 12. They're going to run out of 12 personnel packages. And that's going to be challenging for the line of scrimmage. Um, you, you've got linebackers that want to fly into gaps and try to fill gaps, and they're going to be challenged as well. Ray Coney has never seen a college football run frame for if he has to get in the game for Jordan Hoskins in, in a sub package, how does he handle it? That's where I think that the defensive front, really specifically the defensive line, I kind of veered into linebackers, but the defensive front against the offensive line and their support personnel between JSU and ETSU, I think that's where this really, we really determine whether this thing takes off or not. Because if JSU can run the ball, they're going to do that first. They want to run the ball as much as they can. And they will run it with quarterback. They'll run it with a variety of running backs. They'll do a lot of different stuff. And they'll mess with your linebackers. They'll pull the guards one way. They'll pull two guys one way and then run the ball the other I do all that kind yeah, of they fake the toss sweep on a counter, and then they'll run the quarterback the yeah, complete opposite way, almost exactly. on a naked boot. Yeah, they ran yeah. that twice against UTEP and had success. So. They, they do a lot of that stuff. Um, but, you know, their receivers, they're athletic. I don't, I don't know that I was super impressed with them. I don't, I don't know that I was impressed with their pass game in general. I feel like if you can make JSU have to throw the football to win, that puts you in an, an advantageous position. Well, and that's going to help the young corners, right? Because if it's a third and long or something where they've got some support, they can do some things defensively to help the young cornerbacks. You can play a little more cover three and blitz underneath it. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. If they get to where they're gashing them and then a couple of play actions on an island type deal, then yeah, JSU. Because uh, JSU had a couple of chances early because they hit some runs early to take shots down the field, but right. then when those runs weren't happening, it was it was very hard uh, for JSU uh, really to get going. Now, the offensive line pr- provided some good protection. I think they only had one breakdown for a sack. They had, well, I think in the back, they had a breakdown for a sack. They had two other breakdowns where Zion Webb was able to get south, outside the pocket and just make plays with his feet. So, And that's going to happen with him, who is a run-first quarterback, I think, anyways. But I agree. I think if you can kind of stymie the run a little bit, See if you can make Webb step and throw and beat you in the pocket throwing the football and not a bubble screen or any of these little uh, cutesy things that they do try to do on first down, which are glorified run plays, but really you know, need a 12-yard completion for a first. I'll be curious to see uh, because ETSU, uh, even last year, with the three wins, even 2019, we only had three wins. They're very opportunistic defense for Billy Taylor. They tend to create a lot of turnovers, and there's still a couple of guys on the back end you make a mistake that Sheldon Arnold and Chris Hope will make you pay. Yes. And so I think, um, you know, stopping that run is, is going to be a paramount. Winning third downs is going to be a big one because if you can let Steven Scott and some of the older veterans, you know, try to play as many of the 65, 64 plays that they played last week, Jacksonville State, that's a good sign. If Jacksonville State's getting 80, 85 plays, and that's probably not a good sign uh, for ETSU defense, and that means they're rotating some other guys in. And Not that I'm afraid to rotate some guys in. I certainly would feel better about week two and three rotating them in a little more against Carson Newman and Austin P than an FBS team. But, you know, that's a little bit of a disadvantage. Let's go to where I do think ETSU will have an advantage. 
I do think ETSU is going to have some holes to run the football. And I think they're going to have to take advantage of those. And that's a little bit of everything. That means if four guys are doing their job, the fifth guy can't blow, especially the backside, because it's about – like Mercer, it's about speed. There's a lot of times I think, you know, if you're the backside blocker, sometimes maybe you kind of eh, yada yada a little bit and just let a guy go by instead of chucking him before you try to go to the second level. And if you do that, it's a, a little bit of a slow-developing play. The back-end guys are going to be able to hit the running backs. I think the running backs have to hit the right holes. They have to see it. They have to take advantage. And they've got to get – if a four-yard gain could have been seven or eight and they only get four, I think it's going to be a hard day. But if that four-yard gain should be eight and they get eight, then I think that's going to be important for ETSU. I also think the receivers for ETSU, and specifically Will Huzzy, have a good matchup. Because UTEP's guys were winning one-on-one battles left and right. They had a few drop balls. Um, but whenever the ball was put anywhere where it should have been, the wide receivers were open and made catches. So I think that'll be a huge advantage um, for ETSU. Uh, is I think on the outside with Will Huzzy, unless they try to double him, and they may. And then I'll be curious to see, okay, what do you do with Anash Carter? What do you do with Cam Lewis? West, any of those other guys. Gearnets. Gearnets is another guy. is going to play a role in this, I think. So if, the, if there's success in the pass game, I think he plays a role. I think if they run the ball, and I think they will have an opportunity to run the football. UTEP had no issues moving the ball. Um, where they got in trouble, two fourth down stops, and they turned it over three times. And they missed a field goal. Or they missed two field goals. Anyway, they missed a lot. So uh, North Alabama missed two. UTEP missed one. They missed early. one. Yeah. So you're talking about six chances, one to put up points, um, or really, uh, two, if you look at the, the other fourth down uh, or turnover, because, I mean, it's fourth and one, they could have tried to kick for a ball. Either way, I don't want to get into the woulda, shoulda for UTEP, what they wanted to do, but they didn't have a whole lot of trouble moving the football. And I think ETSU, honestly, because not particularly a big FBS team, when you think of FBS team, if ETSU comes out with a bully ball mentality, and physicality, I think they're going to be able to get runs, and I think that's only going to help. And then the, the ultimate question is, okay, Tyler Rodell, again, has got the job. Everyone's looking at him. Does he put the team on his back and will like 2021 because it's in a system he feels comfortable with and a style he feels comfortable with, or is it a little bit during headlights as we saw in 2022 because this is not exactly the 2021 system, but they are asking him to do more Yes. what he did in 21, but not as much as he did in 22. There is a more robust quarterback run component in this offense than there was in Randy Sanders' offense two years ago. And that is something that Rydell, I think, has kind of grabbed the bull by the horns on. He has shown really well in scrimmages. He has shown really well with it in practice. And I think his good decision-making with the football has carried over to the run game. Now, of course, I say I think that because we won't know it for sure until we see him probably for the next three weeks on the football field having to make decisions. What happens when you get some zone read stuff? What happens when you uh, have a a speed option? Does he make the right decision? Does he keep? Does he pitch? Uh, How does he protect himself from getting hit hard because this team needs him? If they don't have – if we don't have T.Y., it's game over. He's he's the guy, no question about it. So how does that look in a game – in a live game where the other team is trying to take your freaking head off as the quarterback. The, the quarterback steps out of the pocket, and it's like a bull following the curtain. 
I mean, they just, it's not even, not even seeing red. It's just the movement, right? Like, maybe not even, the bull might not even be the right uh, uh, analogy. I think it's probably, it's more like the, the T-Rex. It can't see you if you don't move, but the moment you move, it's on you. So how do you handle that? How do you manage your way past those, those dangers and those perils of playing football? That quarterback run game will open some things up for ETSU. It will be extremely valuable for them on Saturday. Yeah, I, time of possession is going to be one of those weird things because it's not about time of possession. ETSU is going to win the time of possession. I think they I, I mean, that's not a problem, but, but it's how the time of possession comes about, right? I mean, is ETSU getting time of possession because they're milking the clock and going right. three and out, or they win in time of possession because they're putting together eight, nine, ten play drives and right. keeping them exactly. off the field. That's going to be the biggest um, question mark, I think, for how time of possession plays out. And then finally, special teams is just a big old question mark for me. ETSU has been very good at special teams for the last several years in a lot of categories. I mean, J.J. German kicked a lot of field goals. He was bested by Tyler Keltner, left the history books in shambles for what he was able to do to it. And then um, the kick return game and punt return game has been incredible. It's going to be a lot of Enosh Carter. Sailors and Holmes, and it was Elijah Huzzy. Now it's Enosh Carter. Um, Tonquez Ball is going to probably get a shot to return some kicks. He had some success last year as well, but there were a lot of yardage hidden yardage that came into play to ETSU. Nate Brackett's won the punting job. Remember, he was the punter a couple years ago. Uh, lost out to Trace Kelly last year. He has won the job back. What will his net punting be? Because sometimes it's not just about booming punts, but you know, is he going to be able to get some high hangers and no returns? Is he going to be able to get, you know, it's one thing to kick 50-yard uh, missiles, and then they get a 15-yard return, and you got a net 35. I mean, what are we talking about here? And then touchbacks. Tyler Keltner was a touchback machine unless coach told him not to do it on purpose. Now we tissue be able to in the kicking game. And then they blocked all kinds of punts last year. Right. You know, and Dylan Llewellyn was a big part of that. He's still coaching special teams. So, you know, can ETSU get a couple of punts? I mean, and it was against, you know, a lot of people think, well, maybe they got blocked punts against some other people. Well, yeah, they ended the season with a blocked punt against Mississippi State for a touchdown. They obviously had the, the Robert Morris touchdown. And that was a wild one. And then Mercer at the one, which should have been a touchdown, but they stumbled and fell at the one, and they punched in the next play. So they should have had three block punts for a touchdown last year. So special teams, I think, will be big. Jacksonville State watching their special teams. Had a great day uh, from the punter. I think he averaged like 52 yards a punt. And they had like a 62-yard just mall job at some point. So punting-wise, coverage-wise, they look great. Kickoff-wise, coverage looked great. Um, they attempted the one field goal and hit, and then extra points. But, I mean, I Jacksonville State was pretty solid, at least game one, in the kicking game. And so that's a, uh, an area, especially when you play an FBS team or, or team guys got more scholarships, more of this, those extra scholarship guys are on special teams maybe more so than uh, the, the FCS guys. So I think you cannot sleep ever on special teams, but specifically game one, I'm curious to see how that kind of works out for ETSU. Um, they've got some talented guys, I think, especially in Enosh Carter that could – thrive in that, but he hasn't had a lot of opportunity yet. We'll have to see. And that's also your coverage units. And that's where a lot of freshmen can make names for themselves. Guys are going to be asked, hey, get downfield and make a play. Who, who steps up and seizes that opportunity? And how does that turn into more opportunity on offense, more opportunity on defense, whatever side of the ball you're on by default? What, what you do on special teams can get you on the field a little bit faster. So 
that's an important space for guys all over the field to contribute. You want to go picking? You want to pick or you want to do the other one first? Uh, yeah, you're okay. All right, fine. It's up to you. No, I listen. Maury Straten. I I love this guy. I have like I I understand why you were such a big fan of him now because of his last what three trips through the Citadel, and I he just I've never heard a guy go off. 22 excuses, 11 on my offense and 11 on my defense. For red zone defense, he's like, oh, that's not him. You by get the a way. touchdown, you get a touchdown, you get a touchdown. But it's the bring back some bigger, better players to come play for us, but they went to good schools. I'm going to fade that out quick. We don't have the rights to us. It's going on YouTube. So um, it's crazy coach. It's crazy coach. And crazy coach this week is Maurice. Maurice Drayton. First-year head coach of the Citadel Bulldogs. Quarterback right now. Two fields. We're a poor football team at the moment. We're not playing very well, and we're not happy with our progress at this moment in time. No, that is truly how I feel. Uh, one thing you'll learn about me: everybody wants to know the truth until you tell it, and I'm telling the truth. Uh, so we have, we have, we have some work to do. I told you way ahead of time when that hire happened, and we happened to be down to Citadel basketball, that I was a huge fan of Maury Strayton, of yes. getting the job in general because I thought he was the right. Sometimes you go to an alum or something, it may not be the right hire, but I just felt like this was a great hire, and it dealt with him as an assistant coach, and not to that level where he was that honest, just, but I dealt with him before, I've seen some things, so I think I had a fairly good insight into this, but now that he has been there and I've heard some of his other quotes, I mean, I, I undersold maybe how great Maurice Drayton is. He's one of my favorite coaches so far um, in the league, and I loved – it wasn't just his honesty, in which he did have a great quote because that's what everybody wants. To, well, you want to be honest, and when they are sometimes, you're, people are upset, right? I mean, Right. It's like you want – but then, but then everybody says, oh, we all had a great camp, and – we sat around the 50-yard line and held hands saying kumbaya. That's not what happened. But coaches say that because it's posturing. Because if they say that we we completely, you know, uh, forgot what uh, what end of the, the proverbial gun makes the loud noises once class has started, like, we, we just – like, you know, you say that, and then people are like, "Well, how dare you say that? Why did you? Why did you say that in the media?" And I just, yeah, let, let people be honest. Let them, let them rip, let it rip. Well, and, and Maurice is absolutely the kind of person that just he will say he wants to go out there and just be honest about the state of his team, and he probably hopes his players hear that. I, I think when you hear him speak, um, you want to play for him. I think that's certainly somebody that you could rally around. Players want to rally around. So I, I, And he went on further, and we didn't play the whole clip. It's out there on the interwebs if you want to find it. But I thought the other part of it was, you know, he's crushing uh, some of the parents that are telling their kids they're that great. And then he also went in a little bit of some truth of like, hey, 
you know, when you're in the Citadel, you're military, it's very regimented oriented, right? So Yeah, and you get into the routine and you change the routine and suddenly you just completely lose all the gains that you made in, in the summer. And, and, and to also like say that's, that's eventually they will get back. So yeah. n- being a military guy, he didn't say that, but basically what he's saying is once they figure out how to do class, how to do the military thing, and we get back to practice and how to handle all of that, I think we'll be okay, but right now we're not handling that well. We don't yeah, know who the quarterback we is. We're not a good football out, team. Until we figure that all out, then we're not going to be very good. Yeah. So, yeah. love Maurice Drake. Uh, yeah, no, I, I love that whole quote. There was a lot more to it. That, like, like Jay said, there was a lot more to it than what we just played. But, yeah, starting quarterback, we don't have one. I, I love that because Nick Saban, and the head coach at Marshall, who I don't remember the name of off the top of my head, uh, but they're not releasing depth charts for their first games. And I just – that, to me, is just antithetical to wanting people to have a good idea of what you're going to do on Saturday from a fan perspective. Because the coaches don't, the composing coaches don't need the too deep in your game notes to know what your personnel packages are. Give me a break. But at the, the fans that want to talk about your team and know about your team and are passionate about your team and the media that are trying to serve those fans who want to know about your team and are passionate about your team and want to talk about your team, those people are the ones inconvenienced by the lack of a depth chart there. You do it because, well, I just don't like the media, or um, I don't want my players to create artificial drama over who's above who on the depth chart, or all this stuff. And Maurice says, we don't have a depth chart because we stink. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I res- you know, that's fair. I, I can respect that answer when you say, I don't have a depth chart because how am I supposed to separate these guys because, like, nobody's separating themselves because we're not good. Like, people aren't showing up and, and doing their job. So um, I, I love hearing that from a coach. I love that unvarnished honesty. And um, I hope we get more of that from Maurice, but it could be a long year also. That's call, call that a whole The best games of the week, or at least the ones these two dorks want to watch. Yeah! Ooh, I forgot about both predictions. It's the pick six. Yeah, all by yourself. All right, here, I'll give you one bold prediction. You get one bold prediction. Okay. Which, which of these – so all of these teams, according to Massey, have a 100% chance to lose their first game. <laughs> okay. Which of these teams is most likely to get shut out? Colgate at Syracuse. Um, Butler at Montana. Bucknell at James Madison. Robert Morris at Air Force. Tennessee State at Notre Dame or Tennessee Martin between the hedges at Georgia. Which one is most likely to get shut out? I guess the question is, could UT Martin score against Georgia's threes? Right? Because you know that's Kirby's going to I mean, that, do that. That, to me, just because of what Georgia's been defensively, that's the the easy answer. But I, I'm going to say it's Robert Morris. I agree, actually. I think it's Robert Morris. I agree with that. I know that doesn't make for great entertainment theater, but that was the one that stuck out to me. It was like, oh, boy. Because Air Force – so that would be mine. All right, 50-yard line, pick six. Maine at Florida International, a trendy FCS over FBS upset pick. Massey says the Black Bears have a 36% chance to win. Well, is that not when the Florida National lost last year? Was it Bryant? They almost lost to Bryant. Almost lost to Bryant. So I think that's it, too. So that's why I think that is a trendy pick, and Maine – Better than Bryant, right? Unless I'm, I'm not I would say so. Yeah. So, Florida National, last I looked at their roster was actually during the summer, and 
I didn't really see anything that would tell me different. Um, it's a trendy pick, which tells me it may not happen. So I'm going to go Florida International because it's a trendy pick more than more than I actually believe. Because I think Maine could, I think Maine could easily go down there. But I, sometimes I it's not that easy, right? Because well, and, and FIU is one of those teams that the first game out of the gate, they're super sluggish. They got the they got the crust in their eyes, like they're just waking up. Um, and, and every year it's like that. The first game out of the gate for FIU is as sloppy as any team in the country. By the end of the year, they're better. By the end of the year, they're actually kind of okay. But that first game is always a clunker for them. Well, and we don't know how the hurricane affects some of the other things going on down there too, right? Yeah, well, Miami field, is a field uh, Yeah, I mean, conditions-wise, I don't know. Like but rainy, Miami, Miami should be okay. But um, if there's any team that knows how to play in rain, it's generally the South Florida teams. That's true. So that could maybe play an advantage to FIU, I would assume. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're going to be really out of sync. I, give me Maine here. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Maine, even though it may be wrong. At least well, there will be some differentiation between the two of us. 40-yard uh, line, incarnate word at UTEP. Can I go first? Yes. Word. Two scores. Oh, wow. Two scores. I, again, that does not shock me. Zach Calzada started at Texas A&M. I just watched uh, UTEP, and um, to, to be unimpressed, is, uh, I'm just trying to be nice. I mean, they were, yeah. they were not very good. No, they were um, not. Well, you know they're not. Well, and that, again, is one of the reasons why I think ETSU has a fairly good Good matchup. Now, the, again, the one thing for the ETSU is this game two at Jackson State, so they're going to make all kinds of different adjustments. Mm-hmm. But I am not impressed um, with UTEP. Now, UTEP at home, for whatever reason, the last four years has only lost like two games. And they can't find a way to win at home. And so I don't know if it's just UTEP somehow, you know, uh, just with the backdrop or just the way the Sun Bowl is or the way the light hits them that day or whatever, they seem to be way better at home than on the road. But I'm going to agree. I feel like this is a, 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 a not an easy one, but I do feel like Incarnate Word has enough pieces to go in there. I'm not going to say two scores, but I think Incarnate Word is going to go in there and pull the upset off. Massey has them 52% to win. So I, I looked at that. I was looking at that and I was going, hmm. Well, and, and yeah, you right. I mean, that's a lot of turnover from last well, year. That's what I was getting ready to say. I mean, that's the one thing, right? Lindsey Scott is – Lindsey Scott's gone. Their quarterback is now Zach Calzada. Okay, right, from Texas and then yeah. And then you've got uh, the coach left to go to Texas State. Yes. Right? So there is some of game one, a lot of new faces, pieces, system. How does that play into it? Personnel-wise, I think Incarnate Word matches up really well with UTEP, even with some pieces that they yeah. lost. That would be if UTEP wins that game or wins the game by a couple scores, the thought process there is just the Cardinal Word's got to figure out who they are with the new staff. That would be. I mean, listen to the schedule, too. At UTEP, at Northern Colorado, at Abilene Christian, North American, Southeastern Louisiana, Texas A&M Commerce, at McNeese, at Lamar, Nichols, Northwestern State, and at Houston Christian. I don't know that that team loses a game. If they come out here and they beat UTEP and they beat UTEP like I think they're capable of on paper, I don't know that they lose a game this year with that slate. This is a, this is a, this incarnate word team could have a really good year. Uh, Thirty yard line. Uh, I'm going to dangle some bait here. Chattanooga at North Alabama. 
I knew at some point you were going to throw Chattanooga on the board to see what I was going to pick. <laughs> and I'll what do you got? Well, I'll say this. I mean, for, for UNA, they look a lot better um, with the new staff, and they played hard and did a lot. But there's so many holes to fill. The biggest question for Chat, right, they're going to be able to run the football. And I don't think UNA is going to be able to stop the run as much as they did with Mercer just because the physicality of Chattanooga. The one question mark I think that would help North Alabama is the fact that I don't think Chattanooga is going to be able to throw the ball like Mercer as well. I think both teams, Mercer and Chat, got a lot of questions at the quarterback. I think it's too early in the North Alabama new tenure for them to win at home. So you're gonna you're gonna take the Bucks. I, I I said what I said. You're gonna pick Chattanooga. I, no, I said what I said. I'm also gonna pick the Bucks to win. Uh, this one is more of a novelty for me because I think the outcome is fairly decided. Kind of like the one at the 30 yard line, 20 yard line. North Dakota State versus Eastern Washington in Minneapolis. I don't I don't know that I want to pick a winner for this game. I want to pick a crowd size. So if you go back to North Dakota State's game at um, Target Field when they played Butler with Trey Lance and, and that team, his first game as the starter, and you look at that crowd in, I say 19, the Butler game drew a crowd of 34,544 announced. So... I'm going to go I, – I want you to tell me, does this game draw over or under 40,000 at U.S. Bank, which is much larger than Target Field? Over. Over? Over. Confidently, I say over. About 45. Oof. Just a, just a gut feeling. I, I think, you know, there's that's going to be a hot ticket, and um, it's just it's going to be a um, it's, it's going to be a well, hot ticket. A, but at the same well, time, and that's like, a three thirty ABC game. It, it is. It, well, yeah, it's a three thirty game on. Uh, I think it's ABC. It's two thirty. It's on WDAY. It's a, it's local ABC, I believe. So that's because uh, they're they're they're. So I, I'm going to say over 40, under 45. I think there are only so many alums that will turn out. Uh, there are only so many alums that can turn out. Uh, so they'll get more than they got at Target Field, but they will not get uh, – I don't think they're going to get 45, 50 beyond. I think, I think – but, uh, but if you get 43,000 for that – You get 40 anything. 40,000 anything, you're ecstatic. You're still ecstatic. Still a home run. Lofty expectations. 10-yard line, North Carolina, South Carolina, in Charlotte, the Dukes-Mayo Classic. Only FBS versus FBS game on the list. Uh, you know, I think South Carolina was kind of the darlings at the end of the season, but I think North Carolina is going to pick up uh, the win, and I think they're going to do so because Elijah Hussey is going to get to play in the game. So, go 
Call me a homer for Elijah, although maybe I shouldn't since he's not with uh, the home team anymore called the Tissue Buccaneers. <laughs> but I honestly think um, I, I just feel like North Carolina's got some pe- – Mac Brown's got some pieces kind of rocking and rolling, obviously. A lot of talk around the quarterback play there and, and where is he going to go and how high and are people tanking? Is he in the conversation, uh, you know, to be one of the top picks? But I think – North Carolina has got a lot more returning than South Carolina, and yes, South Carolina does return. It's a rat. Spencer Rattler's back for them, right? Yeah. But the offense coordinator, who's a you know former ETSU Buccaneers, now out at Nebraska calling play. So a little bit different offensive scheme for Coach Beamer and what they're doing. So I'm going to take the old Wiley veteran Mac Brown. Yeah, I just Rattler's going to make a play. I, I think he. This is this is the year. This is I'm doing the Bo Nix thing, right? He's he's having fun. He's in the best shape of his life. He's loving this new offense. We'll see how Bo Nix does in Oregon, by the way. I think that could go pretty well. Um, I think this is the year that Spencer Rattler finally just makes it all happen, right? This is the year that he puts it all together. I don't think South Carolina is going to be an exceedingly good football team this year, but I think they'll win enough games to go to a bowl, and they will sneak over – middle of the pack in the SEC, I'm going to take the I'm, I'm going to take the Gamecocks. The only Gamecocks I will pick to win this week. Actually, you know what? Solidarity. I can't pick I can't pick Gamecocks anything. Can I? <laughs> we got to have solidarity. Give me the Tar Heels too. Hey, you're talking you're talking about some buyer's remorse in about ten seconds right there. Spencer Rattler is the greatest. You know what? No. No, he's not. He's yeah, yeah. I'm over. I'm over Spencer Rattler. Um, I know exactly where I'm going with okay. this one, um, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. Northern Iowa at Iowa State. Give me the Panthers to get the win in Ames. Tell you what, um, Iowa State, for whatever reason. Iowa State is a mess right Well, now. and they always seem to be the team that loses to an FCS team. Do they not? I mean, I feel like yeah. I mean, I, I mean, others they do. Had, they do. Uh, they've lost. I mean, they've lost to Northern Iowa recently. They lost to North Dakota State recently. Yeah, uh, it's it's not the greatest, but I just think of the situation that they're in right now. Just the whole atmosphere around that program seems to be messy. Northern Iowa is completely the opposite. This is as focused as they've been. This is as talented and deep as they've been in years. So I'm, I'm going to take you. But isn't you and I one of those teams that usually out of the gate slow and then they crank well, that's it up? Because they scheduled like a bunch of. Uh, heavyweights, they just schedule all the best teams they can find and say, beat the snot out of us, and then they go 5-3 and three in the Valley and they make the playoffs. I don't know. It's just how, it's just how Mark Farley does it. All right, well, I'm going to take Iowa State, just to be different than you, and you're so strong in your conviction. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I, you're really going on a limb when all you right. take a Big 12 team, right? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> take the Big 12 team to win. Uh, all right. Are we doing an upset or something? We're doing the extra point. Got to pick an underdog. Uh, cannot hurt you if they lose, but helps you if they win. I already got mine. You got it? Yeah, it's the Battle of Miamis, and I'm taking Miami of Ohio against Miami of Florida. All right, Sandos. I, I, think, I think I saw last look they were like 17-point dogs, so I don't think that's going to be an issue. Ooh, yeah. But uh, I'm going to take the Battle of Miamis, and Ohio's going to be the U or the University of. The University of. University of Miami, uh, University of Ohio. They don't they don't play that game for a while. Whew, I gotta pick one. I gotta pick one. I gotta pick one. I'm looking. I'm scrolling. I I'm thought you were gonna say Campbell over Bill and Mary, but I don't feel like you're gonna do that. No, no. 
I feel like that would be a popular one too if you're picking an upset. I think that I think that would be a popular one. Uh, something something dumb is gonna happen this week. Yes, weekend. yes. The answer is yes. I don't know what you're something, talking about, but something yes. Something just incredibly dumb is gonna happen, and I'm trying to figure out where it's going to happen. I think it's going to. going to be a terrible pick. I'm you, racking you, my you've brain. Already, I'm you've already, brain. You've I'm already messed this up. I have already bungled this. Give me... Pick something! <laughs> Colgate will score no. multiple times against Syracuse. No, that's, no. that's, that's like... Um, give me... This is your Florida, segment. Florida, this a- is your segment. Florida, Florida A&M over Jackson State. Okay. Oh, my goodness. That took forever. All right. Are you... Well, you stressed over that. No, I just I I was trying to think of one and I couldn't think of one. I was unprepared I and wrote the, it down to me. I didn't even look at the FBS games, man. I just because they're all like, they're all kind of dull. Well, I didn't have a I didn't really care, but I knew you were doing pick sex. You're gonna throw out something. Yeah. And as I was scrolling through games, I saw Miami versus Miami, so I said I'm going to Miami. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Regardless, I don't. Do no, I know anything I about the Red Hawks? I, I do not. I appreciate your ability to commit to a theme. Yeah, I just try to help out. All right, we got uh, each issue football coming up this weekend. 12.30 pregame show, 2 o'clock kick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Tuesday we'll be back. We'll recap that game, give you the sounds, give you thoughts, uh, let you know how one pick six and keep lost. I will let you know how ETSU beat Jacksonville State. We'll do all that on Tuesday on Jay and Keith. Buccaneers Sports Network. Oh, you got to be kidding me.